0: Erev Tov everybody, welcome to our Thursday night Parashat Shavua class. Tonight's Shi'ur is sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Jack and Biva Ben Kisus in memory of Estreya Ben Zichrona Libracha Tein Afshat Rabbi Torah Hayim, and may the words of Torah that we say tonight Bileilu Nishmata and bring her Neshama closer to the upper levels of Shamaim, the Kisei HaKavod Amen. This week we are studying Parashat Korach. We are reading Parashat Korach the Shabbat, one of the more famous parashiyot given because Korach had the audacity to protest and uh, stage an uh, upfront battle, although not physically, but spiritually, against Moshe Rabbeinu, his relative, I might add. Him and his cohorts went up one-on-one against Moshe and Aaron and uh, to stage uh, a protest demanding that they given certain level of respect and authority that they're not being given at this moment and in the parasha Moshe Rabbeinu goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, pleading to him wondering what am I supposed to do with these people what is the solution that uh, they that, that that I should employ in uh, getting rid or somehow defeating this protest um, in time. So Parashat tells us Mos uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu's response. Hashem says, "Vaydaber Hashem and Moshe, ve'laaron nemor." Hashem tells Moshe and Aaron, saying, "He badelu mitor chayda hazot v'achale otam keraga." That Hashem said, to Moshe and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly, and I will destroy them in a moment. So Moshe and Aaron then go on to pray, as the pasuk says, al <laughs> basar, Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces and said, "God." who knows all the thoughts of mankind. If one person sins, will you become angry with the entire public? Rashi explains, You, Hashem, you don't act the same way that human beings act. When people rebel against the king, the king doesn't know who the one at fault is. So what is he going to do? He's going to punish everybody. But you, HaKadosh Baruch you know man's thoughts, and you know who sinned. So why are you going to punish the whole nation? Just punish the people involved. So Hashem says, you are right. You said, well, I will reveal who sinned and who didn't sin. The Pasuk explains that Moshe and Aharon prayed for the nation at this time. How did they pray for, this, for their nation? They fell on their faces. That's what the Pasuk says. Rabenu Bechaeah, who we're going to explain his Perush today, says, Mikan Apaim This is the source for Tahanunim in the tefillah. Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces and prayed on behalf of Qad Israel. So this is the source that when a person prays, he needs to, not needs to, it's one of the forms of prayer, the truth is there are several forms of tefillah. And this is one of them. The tour in Orachaim writes that a person can pray in any way that he wants. He can pray sitting, he can pray standing, and he can pray falling on his face. And Moshe Rabbeinu did that in all three ways. There's one pasuk that says that Moshe Rabbeinu va'eshev bahar, I sat at the mountain. Then it also states, ve'anochi I stood on the mountain. And then here in this and, and, and this pasuk and as well in another place, it says, lifnei Hashem, I fell before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Bach, in his commentary of Shulchan Aruch, uh, of, the, of the tour, writes that the uh, this is how we behave during our Tefillot. The first part of Tefillah is done while you are sitting. The Birkot Keriat Shema, Shema Yisrael, all the Pesuket Dezimra is done sitting. Vaeshev Bahar, sitting down. The the second part of Shemona Esre, the second part is Shemona Esre. Shemona Esre is Amida and that is done. Amida, standing. Omed. And then the third thing that we do to resemble Tefillah is Tahanunim. Tachanunim is that we fall down on our faces. Now, the Ashkenazim, our brothers, actually do fall on their faces. They actually, when they sit down, they put their hand, like their, their head on their arm, like this. And it's That's why it's called Nefilatapayim. We don't actually do that. That's not our custom. But we do bow our heads. Nefilatapayim kacha. We just lower our heads. That is exactly what we do. The truth is, what do we say in the Tachanun? We say in the Tachanun, Va Nachnuloneda Manaase. Where's neda ma, Where is, lo nedah, ma We don't know what else to do. We don't know any other form of Tefillah. If we did know another form of Tefillah, then we would do that as well. We would, we, we would seek to pray to Tachadosh Barachun any way we can. And that's why at the end of sitting and standing and in the Nefillat Tapayim Tachanunim, we say, neda ma Manaase. Rabbeinu Bechaye explains in length that the concept of praying tefillah with a fallen face, with nefillah tapayim, and he writes that such a prayer demonstrates three things, and we'll expand on these three things. Number one, it shows that a person is afraid of the Shekhinah. Number two, it demonstrates distress and humility. And number three, he writes, and I quote, Asirat chushav ubitul hargashotav that all of one's strengths are bound and tied, and that he's helpless without Hashem's assistance. The, these three intentions of tefillah are implied when a person performs nefilat When you cover one's face, it expresses a certain level of tzniut, of modesty, a certain level of bushat shame, fear of heaven, because a person who prays, like we've said many times, must imagine that the Shekhinah is right in front of him. Shiviti Hashem ne'edhi tamid, as it's written on the top of the page of many, many sidurim that we own. I place Hashem before me always, tamid. And therefore, when I cover my face, it demonstrates that I'm embarrassed, bushah, before Hashem's honor. The pasuk writes about Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayaster Moshe panav, ki yare meabit el Moshe Rabbeinu hid his face, because he was afraid to look at Akados Paruchu. The second reason that will elaborate that Rabbi Bechaye said is that we do Nefilat HaPaim is sar, distress and humility. And when a person expresses his pain and agony as he prays Nefilat HaPaim, the tefilah is very powerful. Rabbi Bechaye quotes a Gemara. A Gemara is a story in the Gemara that you may have heard before, it's a very popular story. One of the more famous ones in the Talmud, in Masechet Baba Metziah, which relates a story of the Tanur Shel Akhnai. The Tanur Shel Akhnai is the oven of Akhnai. It was a certain type of oven that was made from earthenware and clay. And there was a machloket between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim, that if this oven broke, it does it lose its status as a kli, and therefore can no longer become tameh? Or it could still become Tameh. So they debated whether it become Tameh or not. And Rabbi Eliezer was insistent that it couldn't become Tameh because it was made from clay. And the Chachamim disagreed. And they went back and forth. And Rabbi Eliezer kept bringing monumental proofs that his oven is Tahor. The water started flowing backwards. Walls were falling. Trees were uprooting. Crazy story. And he was very persistent until the Chachamim led by Rabban Gamliel put Rabi Eliezer in harem. put him in harem. Rabban Gamliel says, crying, he said, he looked up, he said, shel olam, I didn't do this for my honor or the honor of my family. I did it for your honor. You, Hashem, so that there shouldn't be machlokit in Bnei Israel." So Rashi on the Gemara explains what does it mean that there shouldn't be machloket among B'nei Yisrael. He writes, "Shelo And it shouldn't be the style of that an individual argues with the majority. If every individual had the liberty to argue with the majority, there would be chaos in the halachic system. There would be chaos in every judicial system, mind you. So therefore Rabbi Eliezer, who insisted that his halachic ruling was correct, he was dealt with a, in a very, very severe manner. Now, that's that's the gist of the story. But there's a background, there's background information here that I'd like to share with you. Rabbi Eliezer was actually married to the sister of Rabban Gamliel, which means his brother-in-law was the one who put him into Cherim. And ever since Rabban Gamliel placed his brother-in-law in Cherim, Rabbi Eliezer's wife, which was the sister of Rabban Gamliel, made sure that Rabbi Eliezer never said tachanunim. Never. She feared that if her husband would pray while falling on his face, that tefillah would be so powerful that it would harm her brother Rabban Gamliel. So every day, she would make sure that he never said tachanunim. Distract him. Distract him. Whatever it is. One day, she miscalculated. She thought it was Rosh Chodesh. But really, Rosh Chodesh was a day later. They didn't have set calendars like we had now. Rosh Chodesh was a day later. So she was sure that her husband wouldn't be saying Tachanun because she thought it was Rosh Chodesh. I don't need to remind my husband. It's Rosh Chodesh. There's no, there's no Tachanunim. Uh, when she came to the room and she saw that her husband was in the middle of Nefilat Tapa and fallen on his face crying... She looks at him and she says, You can get up now because my brother just died. And indeed, soon afterward, a shofar was blown. Rabban Gamliel was the nasi. Rabban Gamliel, the shofar was blown. that The nasi passed away, announcing the levaya of her brother because of the tahanunim of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer asked his wife, How do you know that Rabban Gamliel died? So she replied, such I've inherited from the house of my father and grandfather. All the gates in shamaim are closed except for the gates of someone who is praying because he was insulted or someone who was insulted and began to pray. And Rabbi Eliezer, who was insulted, his tefillah managed to pierce through the heavens. Rashi explains, Lefisha because the heart feels distress and therefore is likely to drop tears. This shows us the power of the tefillah of when a person prays with a fallen face. This woman, this wife of Rabbi Eliezer, she wasn't afraid that Rabbi Eliezer's tefillot, his regular tefillot, would punish her brother. But she was afraid of the tefillot of Nefilat alpenehem. This shows us the strength and distress, of uh, the the strength of these tefilot when a person is among distress, and the third benefit that Rabenu Bechaya says is for a tefilah of nefilat is that it shows that a person doesn't really have any strength of his own, and he's totally dependent on Hakadosh Baruch Hu's rachamim to save him, and he goes on to explain that when a person closes his eyes, and his mouth, and he's truly fallen on his face it demonstrates that he's not able to see and, uh, and and do anything but rely on simply the grace of God. He doesn't know how to take care of any of his needs but rather rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He can't help himself unless HaKadosh Baruch Hu agrees to it. It's like his senses are tied. They're annulled. His eyes and mouth are closed. He can't see. He can't speak unless it's Hashem's will. And that's the reason Rasez Abenu Bechayeh that when we say Amidah, we pray with our feet together. Our feet are placed together as if they are tied up. And it shows that a person can't go out and take care of his needs on his own. Because their, his feet are tied up. Even the Goyim Lehabdi do this. A lot of them pray. They put their feet together. They put their hands together like this. Okay? Similar idea. The problem is they don't really know why they pray. But they're doing similar idea. The reason is to show that they don't have any strength. It's like their hands like we said, are tied, and they're giving over themselves to Akados Baruch Hu, because we need God's protection, we need protection from harm, Yeshuam, and therefore, um, we pray with our feet together, because our feet are tied, to give that impression, we put our feet together, not our hands, like the goyim, we have to be also from this Week's parasha. We have to separate ourselves from the way that we don't pray with our hands together, but rather we pray with our feet together. So now that we've seen a little bit of how special is Tefillah, I feel I would take this opportunity to elaborate on this holy prayer of Tachanunim and uh, the of Nefilah uh, pain with a few stories that hopefully will encourage us to pay a little bit more attention to this holy part of Tefillah. Tachanun begins with the Vidui. It begins with Ashamnu Bagadnu. The Baal Shem Tov writes, Vidui achar tefila magia ad kisei That a person who uh, says Vidui, who confesses to his sins after de Amida, that Vidui reaches God's throne. There was once a Hasid who wanted to be a Hazan of the synagogue. So he went up to the uh, the Rebbe, the 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 Bet Aharon, and he got upset, and he said, "You know, rabbi, just because my name isn't Yerucham, Yerucham was the name of the Chazan, the the paid Chazan, I guess, or the everyday Chazan. He said, just because my name isn't Yerucham, I can't be I can't be the Chazan. I can't daven for the Amud, right? That's uh, the Amud is, is the uh, the bima. Cause I can't I can't pray for the Amud. So the Bet Aaron replied to him. He says. If you will be modeve ve'ozev, which means if you will say vidui and do teshuvah and leave your sins, then you'll also be yeruham. The rabbi was using brilliance, his brilliance of quoting a pasuk in Mishle that we say on Yom Kippur. Mechaseh pesha'av lo If a person conceals his sins, he won't succeed. U modeh ve'ozev Yeruham but if one admits his sins and abandons his sins, he will receive Hashem's compassions. You want to be Yerucham? is what he's telling the guy. You want to be the Chazan yeah, like Yerucham? You have to be Modeve Ozev. You have to do your and confession. Another story of a man who came to the Rebbe, another Rebbe, and told him that his mazal was going down the drain. He seemed to have no mazal, no success in anything, no parnasa. everything he was touching was failing. He didn't know what to do. So the rabbi asked him, do you recite the Tachanunim? Do you say Tachanun during the week? So he was ashamed, and he says, the truth is, many years I haven't said Tachanun. So he said, the rabbi told him, how many Tachanuns did you miss? When did you begin skipping the Tachanun? So the man said, ah, you know, I'm so sorry to admit this, but when I was a young, I already began being lenient in reciting the Tachanun. So they made a calculation and they realized that they were he was missing thousands of tachanunim. So the rabbi told him, from now on you have to be cautious to say every single tachanun and you have to make up for all the tachanunim that you missed. And if you do so, your mazal will come back. But if you just miss one tachanun that you owe, you won't get your yeshua. So the man followed the rabbi's advice. He took a few weeks, a few months but after he filled all the tachanunim that he owed, he was careful to say all the tachanunim for his tefillah, his mazal improved, he became wealthy, and became one of the great wealthy individuals that supported um, that uh, that movement. Um, the, the This Rebbe, his son, repeated this story, and he said, you know, what my father told that Jew was very logical. Why? There's a Mishnah in Masechet Kiddushin that states, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, he says, Did you ever see birds or animals with professions, with jobs? Yet they have Parnassah without distress. How? Behold, they were created to serve me, and I was created to serve my master. Shouldn't I have Parnassah without hardships? This is what the human being says. If the birds and the animals have parnasah without hardships, shouldn't I have parnasah without hardships? Rather, the reason is because my deeds are bad. This is what Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says: My deeds are bad, and I lost my parnasah. So the son of this rabbi told him the reason why people have a hard time being matzliach is because of their evil deeds. So if you say vidui, you do teshuvah, you will bring your parnasah back. There's an interesting gemara in Masechet Brachot that Rava used to tell his students, and he said the following to his students, Students, during the months of Nisan and Tishrei, don't come to me to learn Torah. So you won't be busy with your parnasah the whole year. What in essence Rava was saying to his students was Tishrei and Nisan are primary months that people work in the field. You have to work in the field. So he told them, don't come to me to study. Tishrei and Nisan, you have to go in the field to work. And if you do what you have to do in Tishrei Nisan, you'll be set up for the year, and then you can be able to learn, okay, you'll be able to learn the rest of the year Torah without many, without much headaches. But according to what we said about Tachanunim, maybe what Ravah was saying to them was a little different. Parnasam and Beracha and Hatzalacha comes from the Tachanunim, as the story that we mentioned before. In the months of Nisan and Tishrei, we don't say Tachanun. We say a little bit for Tishrei, but in the month of, of uh, just till, till after Yom Kippur, to Yom Kippur. But after that, is no Tachanun. So Rav told his students that on those days of Nisan and Tishrei, the only way to get Parnassah is to actually go out and work. But the rest of the year, when you're saying Tachanun, you can earn your Parnassah just by saying Tachanun. You don't have to worry about it. But for the month of Tishrei, you have to go out and learn. You have to go out and work. It's not enough just to say Tachanun, because you're not saying the Tachanun. So therefore you have to actually go and do some physical labor. Once someone lost all of his wealth and he came to his rabbi and told him about his financial problems. And the rabbi asked him, do you say the Mizmor of Tefillah Le David? Tefillah Le David we say only on days of Tachanun, right before the Shir Yom, right before Bet Yaakov. It's at the end of the Tefillah. So the man says, I don't say it. So the rabbi told him, you should say this chapter all the times that you skipped it, and then you'll have your parnasam, and that's and that's what happened. Um, There's another story once of a, uh, a Jew that went up to his rabbi, and he went up to his rabbi and he said, Rabbi, you're not going to believe it. I saw the famous Bet Aharon of Karlin in a dream, and he asked me, why are people lenient with reciting Tachanun? So the rabbi told the, the Jew, he goes, With all due respect, how do you know that it was that rabbi who, who came to you in a dream? So the Jew answered him, I once saw that rabbi when I was three years old. Why? There was a magefa in the town. There was a plague near the city of Stolin, And many young people were dying. And the betaron, even though I was three years old, I remember this. He knew that this community was lax with Tachanun. So he sent a telegram, at the time a telegram, today would have been an email or text message, so that they should all accept upon themselves to be cautious with the recital of the Tachanun. They did so, and the plague stopped. And uh, 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 and, uh, and, that's, and that's what happened in the story. Not only that, the Chachamin tell us that on Mondays and Thursdays, which is the longer Tachanun, when a person says you know, the Vehurachum is really the extra part. Uh, after Ashannu Mikolam, the Vehurachum, that last piece of the of the has particular importance. The Ya'avetz writes, it is tested and proven. Vehurahum betzibur gezerot. That a person who recites Mehu or the Tzibur, I, sorry, that recites Be'urachum, with a minyan, it annuls bad decrees. The students of the Khatam Sofer would say that the orerut, the tears, the teshuvah that is seen by the great Rabbanim on the Yamim Noraim, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, was seen every single Monday and Thursday by the Khatam Sofer. If you were to walk into the shul of the Khatam Sofer and see him praying on Mondays and Thursdays, you would think it's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. That's how serious he took the tefillah of the Tachanun. I end off uh, the, uh, with one more story, and then we'll, we'll we'll connect this with something else and go a little bit deeper. Uh, a, a, a very amusing story. There was once a Jew who owned a, a bar, a pub, in a village near Bells. And uh, this the, the pub used to close at 1 a.m., roughly, and then yeah, once were, when people left, it was one a.m. one night at one o'clock in the morning, he told everybody to leave, and uh, they did. But there was one person who was so drunk, and uh, he, was, he was didn't listen. He was uh, falling asleep. He was knocked out. So uh, the Jew went over to him. He was a non-Jew. The Jew went over to him and told him to leave. Finally, he's all dazed and confused. He wakes up, he gets up, starts walking to the ward, towards the door, but he stumbles on uh, one of the uh, legs of the table, trips, falls, hits his head on the floor, met, and he dies. He died with the impact of his head. So now the owner of the bar, he was terrified. This is a non-Jew. If it became known that a goy died in his shop, his life would be in danger. The the non-Jews would come and take revenge. Oh no, what's going to happen? So what did he do? He quickly left his shop. He locked the door with the non-Jew inside, dead on the floor. And he went to the bells Rebbe, Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua, bells. And he told, and he said, what do I do? I, I don't know what happened. He fell, he fell, hit his head. He's dead on my in my bar. I I'm, uh, they're going to take revenge on me. So the bells Rebbe told him, go to the corpse, go to the dead body, and recite the Vehurachum, the long tahanun that we say on Mondays and Thursdays. Go recite that. So he did that. He went. He said the vehurachum with tears kavana, and when he finished, the moment he finished, Shema Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, the guy stood up. He walked up. He left the store, and the Jews curious couldn't believe what he's seeing. So he's following from behind. He leaves the store and he goes to his workshop, the workshop where he worked and where he lived as well. As soon as he entered the workshop. He fell to the ground, dead. And he died. He was found in his own uh, uh, quarters, dead in his house, in his workshop. So the bar owner went back to the Belzer Rebbe to thank the rabbi. He goes, thank you so much for this. And he asked him the obvious question. He goes, Rabbi, if the Tachanun prayer is so precious, so powerful, why are many Jews so lenient with it. Why don't Jews pay attention to it? Why are we so lax with it? We're always looking for excuses not to do it. So the Rabbi answered brilliantly and amusingly. He says, do you want all the goyim to come back to life? And that's what he told him. You know, every year, we read Parashat Korach, and one of the most glaring questions is what was Korach's problem? What caused him to start a rebellion against Moshe and Aharon. And I read a beautiful piece by Rabbi Mark Angel that I received emails from and I wanted to share with you. And something that we can probably take and learn a big lesson from uh, from Korach uh, and what he did to our everyday lives. The Arizel was one of the masters of Kabbalah, as we know, in Sefat in the 1500s. And he pointed out that the gematria of Korach is the same gematria of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, the name Moshe, minus the gematria of Hevel, Hevel being Adam HaRishon's son. Okay, that's nice. Why is that important? Why do I care that Korach gematria is the same as Moshe minus Hevel? So Rav Moshe Tendler, he, he explains the following, he offers this explanation, that Korach had all the attributes of Moshe, But he was just missing the character of Hevel. That's what he was missing. And that's why it was Moshe minus Hevel. What was the quality of Hevel that Korach was missing that caused his downfall? In this tragic story of Cain and Hevel, both of them offered a sacrifice to Hashem. Hevel gave an animal offering and Cain brought produce. Tosfot says that he, uh, that he brought uh, uh, flax was his korban. Both of them knew that they had to bring offerings to Hashem. Cain thought that since HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't gain any actual benefit from our animal sacrifice and the main aspect of the offering is our kavanah, is the intentions, so there's nothing wrong, there's no harm with bringing something other than an animal. And as long as the kavanot are good, as long as the intention is correct, that's going to be enough. Hevel, however, understood that the proper way to bring an offering is with an animal. So he brought an animal. So now, what did Hevel have that Korach didn't? The Midrash Tanhuma explains that Korach brought two questions to Moshe Rabbeinu in order to uh, doubt or question his halachic authority. The first question he brought was, if a garment is fully made of techelet, would that need tzitzit at its corners? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, yes, it needs tzitzit on the corners. So Korach and his cohort uh, started mocking Moshe and making fun of him. I don't get it, they said. If a regular garment only needs one strand of techelet to exempt it, why should a fully blue garment of techelet still need tzitzit to make itself exempt? The other question was very similar. If a room of... um, um, He asked if a room of Torah scrolls required a mezuzah. And Moshe Rabbeinu once again said, yes, it requires a mezuzah. So again, they made fun of him. They made fun of him. If a little scroll with only two paragraphs of Torah exempt a room from its obligation... Surely a room totally full of Torah scrolls should exempt himself. Korach had the same fatal flaw as Cain. He rationalized about religious performance. On the other hand, Hevel had the quality of performing a mitzvah with the fullness of heart and the fullness of intention. There's a Midrash that says that Korach started his rebellion after he heard the mitzvah of the Parah Adumah, the red heifer, what do the two of them have to do with each other? Next week's parashah is Parashat Chukat. It's actually a double here in Chutzlaah. It's going to be Chukat Balak. And it starts off by saying, Zot Chukat HaTorah. These are the statutes of the Torah. And the next pasuk immediately begins to explain the halachot of Parah Adumah. And Rashi on the pasuk explains that the naysayers, will come out and ask, what's this commandment of Paradumah? What's going on? What is there to it? Why are we performing this mitzvah? It makes no sense. And the answer is simply that some commandments are not meant for us to understand. Korach's problem was that he couldn't grapple with the idea that there could be something Hashem commands us that we cannot comprehend. There will always be some details that we will never be able to figure out. And while his questions to Moshe Rabenu make logical sense, they are wrong when it comes to the ruling system of halakha. Rav Joseph Soloveitchik, the Rav known as the Rav the Rosh Yeshiva of the uh, Yeshiva University, wrote once a famous essay titled The Common Sense Rebellion. There he explains the mindset of someone who only cares for mitzvot that he or she can understand. I'm just going to quote you, direct quote, an excerpt of this essay. And, and I, again, I quote, The mitzvah does not depend on the emotion. Rather, it induces the emotion. One's religious inspiration and fervor are generated and guided by the mitzvah, not the reverse. The goal is proper kavanah and genuine devekut, cleanness. But these can be religiously authentic only if they follow the properly performed mitzvah. The emotion generated by the mitzvah is circumscribed and disciplined by the halakha and its character is not left open to possible distortion by human desires and fantasies. The halachically defined mitzvah has quantitative dimensions and precise perimeters and these establish the authenticity of the genuinely Jewish religious experience. So the Rav, Rav Yosef Salavechik does not discount the factor of feeling in mitzvot but rather he's saying the main part of the mitzvah is the importance. And I go back to what we talked about earlier with tachanunim. Tachanunim I can't tell you how many times I myself am guilty, looking for reasons not to recite Tachanunim. Do we have to say Tachanun today? Can we skip Tachanun today? What if I do a short Tachanunim today? The reason is because a a lot of us don't connect to it. A lot of us don't feel that why we have to say Tachanun. We look at our lives and we look back and we say, I had a pretty good day. I had a pretty good day today. I had a pretty good day yesterday. I don't remember. I think I did anything wrong. I don't even understand the words. Ashamnu, bagadnu, gazalnu, gazalnu. I robbed. I didn't rob. Who did I rob today? I didn't rob anybody. Why am I saying these things? Who am I betraying that I need to say bagadnu? Right. And if you read the translations, a lot of it is foreign to us. Therefore, we don't feel connected to it. So we bang our chests because we have to bang our chests. But that's not the point. Besides the deeper aspects that we spoke about at the uh, at the start of the shiur, that of all these the powers that it has to bring Yeshua, to bring Parnasah and Hatslachah and all the amazing things that it can bring, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is just go and perform it. We don't have that. We don't have to stop and think. Oh, but if I didn't sin, then I don't have to say Tahanunim. That's why we you know. Even after the day after. Uh, the the tefillah after Yom Kippur. It's a big question people ask. Why are we saying the beracha in Arvit Yom Kippur Selach L'Anu, right after we finish Yom Kippur? Because those who forgave us from our for all our sins, and we first uh, Arvit Selach L'Anu, but forgive us. Why why are we for, for what? We just we we how can we do anything wrong? So there may people answer the question. Maybe you didn't have the proper intent for uh, when you said Shema Yisrael. You probably weren't thinking. You know you're thinking about eating food so on and so forth. Some say it's because you didn't recite Bikata Levana yet, so yeah, you have to say Slachlanu. There's so many different answers to that question. But there's always things that we do wrong. But we think that we are perfect individuals. We think we're, there's no need for us to say Tachanun. And maybe what Korach is saying, maybe the lesson from Korach, what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying Korach is, you don't get it. You just got to put up the Mezuzah. You just got to put the tzitit. Stop asking questions. You have to say Tachanunim. You say Tachanunim. You don't know what you did wrong. There are many, many things that you possibly could have done. Remember that each each word of the Ashabnu, Baganu, Gazanu, Dibanundofi, shonara is a category for all the other, for all these hundred, six hundred and thirteen mitzvot that we have. If you transgress any of those mitzvot, it will fall somewhere in those categories. So to think, to think that we would go through our day perfect is a wrong train of thought. We are not perfect. We are human beings. We are prone to err. And therefore, we have to take the tachanunim more seriously. Not look for excuses, not to say tachanunim, especially those moments where you're praying be or you got a party going on in your backyard, and you need to get there quickly. So you wanna you say min and, and so I don't have to say tachanunim. That's not, that's not the way we should do it. We have to stop. It'll take three minutes to recite the tachanunim. I end with one zohar that I once read, when I was uh, when I learned the chokla uh, israel. He writes that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is smiling, smiling, when the Jewish people confess their sins during the Tachanonim. One of the few moments that he actually has a smile on his face. If a person can actually stand up in front of Melech Machia Melachim and confess his sins and say, God, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. He's Modeh Ve'ozeh Ruham And he's willing to leave it and say, I'm not going to do this again. Then he puts a smile on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's face. And that's the reason why the tachanunim come right after the shmona Esre without the interruption of a kaddish. According to the Kabbalah, all there is four levels of the tefillah, and each level is divided with a kaddish. I won't go through it now; it won't take up too much time. But if you go, th- there's four levels up. Although there's only three, uh, there's only um, three th- uh, it should be three kaddishim, but there's only two because we have to connect. That's why we don't say Kaddish after al Israel. On the way back down, there's another three Kaddishim to separate the four levels. But the Amidah and the Tachanunim are on the same level. They're both here. They're the climax. It's the cherry on top. There's no Kaddish separating. If there was a Kaddish after the Amidah, then that would mean that the Tachanunim would be one step below. But that's not what it is. On the same level, unbelievable, the Tefillah of Shmona Esre, which we know is the climax of the Tefillah and the Tachonim is right there. It puts a smile on Akados Baruch Hu's face. Let us do what we can to take a few extra minutes to recite the Tachonim slowly. Look at all the promises that our Chachamim tell us we would get of Yeshua, Parnassah, all the amazing things that can come to us as a result of reciting this holy prayer. prayer. And let's learn the lesson from Korach to not quite go so deep and, and think that maybe you don't have to do that such a type of thing and find excuses not to do so. We have to learn from Hevel. We have to learn from says no, just just do what you what Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants. Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants an animal as a sacrifice. So we give an animals a sacrifice. Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants us to say Tachanunim. So we say Tachanunim. We don't look for excuses not and Vada'i. This goes without saying that there are certain situations where we don't say tachanunim. That is true. If it's a simcha bet kineset, then we don't say tachanunim, of course, as our minhag, as our dictates. Okay, but that that's fine. But to go beyond ah, this it's uh, you know hilulah this person and that person, and to find you can find hilulahs every day of the year and excuses not to say tachanunim. We don't do that, thank God. And we only, we only omit saying Tachanunim from the from the, what the Shuhana Aruch tells us are days that we omit Tachanunim. So let us make extra effort, as uh, starting tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, shachrit, that our Tachanun prayer should be one with more concentration, more Kavana, more feeling, more intent, and maybe even some tears. And our Kadosh Baruch Hu will bring the Yeshuot and Nechamot that we all seek in our lives. Have a wonderful night, everybody. Wishing you all a great evening. Be well.